Hello, folks. This is Josh Schlossberg, host of the Green Root Podcast, the official podcast of Eco Integrity Alliance, eco-integrityalliance.org, where we're on a quest to uncover the roots of the modern ecological crisis. This episode, we have Shannon Wilson, one of, I think, actually the first guest ever on Green Root Podcast originally. And Shannon is back. Shannon is a longtime forest defender in Oregon, works on a lot of different issues as well. He is a steering committee member of Eco Integrity Alliance as well. And we are here to discuss one topic, and that is the recent killing by police of a forest activist in Atlanta, where protesters had set up an encampment and tree sits to try to prevent a quote, police training facility in the outskirts of Atlanta. And the the police story is that the activists shot at police and then the police returned fire and killed this activist going by the name of Tortuguita, Manuel Tortuguita. And the activist account is that police hit one of their own with friendly fire and then fired indiscriminately and killed this activist. Uh, so we don't know all the details to be clear as of yet. There is investigation going on. We'll see if that uncovers anything. So there may be details that come out after this podcast, but what we know for a fact is that this is the first environmental protest that has resulted in the killing by police of uh, an activist, and that's a big deal enough to discuss. So, with that preamble, Shannon Wilson, welcome to Green Root Podcast. Welcome back to Green Root Podcast. Yeah, hi, Josh. Yeah, it's kind of unfortunate that we have to talk about something like this, um, but yeah, it's uh, the media doesn't seem to be talking about it. I've hardly seen anything on Facebook or Twitter, other than what I posted um, yesterday morning. So, you know, that's why we're here to talk about it, to try to, you know, uncover some of this, expose it to more people. Yes. Well, Shannon is 100% correct about that, because I'm a fairly informed guy, particularly on these issues. And how did I find out about this? I found out about it through Shannon calling me on the telephone like it's 1990, you know, so this didn't get through the algorithm, even for my algorithm, which that's a bit suspect. I posted it on Facebook to my largely progressive environmental feed followers and well, nobody saw the post. So it was downplayed by Facebook. And then when I basically I was just asking people when I recommented to get people to actually see it, have you heard of this? My left wing friends had not. So it is not being played very much on the media. It may be more and more as the days go by. I don't know. But that's pretty disturbing. Yeah, I tried to do more research last night and. Uh... I didn't see anything on Facebook and, you know, half my friends, more than half are all, you know, forest defense people or ex forest defenders or tree climbers from the last 30, 30 years. And I didn't see any, you know, Facebook posts from them about this. And <laughs> it's really bizarre, sort of. So, it's yeah, quite bizarre. Yeah, well, and so folks who aren't aware, take a look. There are articles out there. I mean, they have done some sporadic reporting on the encampment, which, again, was to protest and to try to prevent the building of a police, quote, training facility. But it's a lot more than that. It's a $90 million facility in which they would be doing all sorts of practicing of using, like, explosives and uh, it's not just, oh, let's teach police officers how to do their jobs properly. It's it's basically like military style um, training, 
militarization of police. So police accountability folks have a lot of concern about it. They're building it in this historically black neighborhood that is also forested area because this is in Georgia. And so there is concern about protecting that forest. So this is perhaps, well, it's one of the first times in recent history, because this isn't the first time, where police accountability and environmental movement have come together. Uh, I mean, Shannon and I and others two decades ago or more were involved with environmental issues and police accountability issues where police overstepped their bounds, let's just say, uh, regarding environmental protest. But the fact that so things like Black Lives Matter and other police accountability issues now it's coupling a bit more with environmental stuff. And then beyond a shadow of a doubt, it kind of proves the point that oftentimes police are over-aggressive, violent, and frankly, murderous. So maybe rather than us going over more of the details with this encampment, I guess there's one last thing I want to say about that. But then we'll maybe talk a little bit about our background, Shannon, and why, you know, our experience with this particular kind of issue and maybe our thoughts on how, unfortunately, this is nothing new, but maybe this is now going to be more in the public eye if if anyone's allowed to hear about it. But the, the last point I just wanted to make before we get into our backstory and, and that relevance is that uh, I believe it was a couple months ago, maybe a month ago the forest defenders, so they have tree sits, other encampments, peaceful, nonviolent to my understanding, in this forest in Atlanta, they were charged with domestic terrorism. Now, it's not the first time that's happened. It happened years ago with the eco-vandals, basically people who did vandalism in the Pacific Northwest and other areas, they were charged with domestic terrorism. So this is coming up again. The, the details are sketchy about what actually anybody did that would be within the realms of terrorism. That remains to be seen. But that just happened in December. So with all of that, these are terrorist rhetoric. It led to them going in, trying to clear out the encampment. And then these shots were fired. This activist was killed. So I don't know if you have anything to add to that, Shannon. Well, yeah, I mean, as far as this 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 base, police, cop city, whatever they're calling it. Right. Um, yeah, they're, they said there's something like a dozen shooting ranges. They're going to park a, a Black Hawk helicopter or something there. Yeah. Uh, they'll probably have tanks, military type armored personnel carriers. You know, it's basically a little military base. Um, and why they need that outside of Atlanta. I mean. Who decided this? I don't know any of that, but it seems pretty ridiculous. But it also seems like, well, maybe this is just the first one in the plans to have little military bases like this at every big city or near every big city yep. where they think there might be trouble in the future with climate activists or Black Lives activists, um, you know any activists, <laughs> maybe this is their response is to build these little bases where they can, you know, pull out all their gear, you know, to, to oppress people. That's how I see it. But, um, mm -hmm. but yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's like, I guess in our background, you know, I, I've been a forest defender probably since around 1991. Um, the first time I went out to an earth first base camp where they were doing direct action to protect uh, millions of acres of roadless areas that were threatened with timber sales and hundreds of miles of roads that were going to be built into these roadless areas and in, in the largest wild area, unprotected wild area in the lower 48 in Idaho. And so I was out there the first day, you know, and I was like, well, you know, this kind of cool. Sitting around a campfire with a couple of folks and place, the town near it was called Dixie. 
of all names. And um, I noticed some signs when I drove through Dixie, like, you know, like Earth Firsters go home or blah, blah, blah in this little town. And I kind of blew that off, like whatever typical little town stuff. But then, you know, a couple of guys drove by at the end of the road. We were at the dead end of a road. That's where the camp was. And suddenly here, here, you know, here's high powered gun being fired off and bullets, you know, kind of going over our head and we all just hit the ground, you know, and it's, so that was my first introduction to forest defense, um, was basically being shot at. And, uh, you know, after about, you know, 20 minutes or so, or 30 minutes, they drove off, whatever. And, uh, they had done their little terrorist thing to us, try to scare us off. But, uh, so, you know, it's like from the very beginning, I knew that, you know, doing this kind of stuff is dangerous, but, um, I didn't really think that the police were part of that danger. Mm -hmm. But, you know, as I continued on with a lot of incidents between police and activists, and especially when you were here and Eugene, Josh, um, we remember we did that. Uh, well, before that, Shannon, tell tell me about the tree sit in downtown Eugene. What July? What did they call that day? Oh well, you know, it's it's funny because a lot of the more violent uh, law enforcement uh, actions that happened in Eugene. I was actually blocking a logging road by myself, well, with my other, my partner, um, two of us, on June 1st, 1997. And it was basically called the uh, June 1st uh, Tree Massacre. And anyway, it was an action that a bunch of Earth Firsters did in the middle of the night on June 1st, 1997. And uh, there was about 80 or 100 trees that were going to be cut down, old trees, going to be cut down to build a high-end apartment complex in downtown Eugene. And a bunch of people were opposed to it. And these Earth Firster tree sitters, they're saying, well, we're just going to go up there and climb up those trees in the middle of the night, and they're not going to do anything. But lo and behold, in the morning, uh, the police showed up, you know, full riot gear. Um, they started shooting tear gas at people to drive people off because there was a big crowd. And then they actually uh, started using, uh, well, there was people up in the trees about 60 or 70 feet up thereof. And they weren't tied in. They weren't roped in. They didn't have platforms, no real safety gear. They were just hanging on up there in the tree where they thought it was safe. And the police actually got uh, pepper spray um, and uh, cherry picker, you know, lifts to get up to where the people were and actually started spraying people while they're 50, you know, 50, 60 feet up in the trees with pepper spray to try to get them to release, you know, and luckily no one fell to their death. Um, one person, Jim Flynn, you know, they actually removed his pants and sprayed, you know, all his genital area, everything to try to get him to release. You know, he could have easily fallen and died. And that was kind of the beginning of this big confrontation between forest defenders, anarchists, so-called um, green anarchists and the poli Eugene police. Yeah. Well, thank you for recounting that. I wanted to mention that because I think that was a pivotal moment in terms of police violence against environmental protesters. Not that that hadn't happened prior. I'm sure it had. Sure, there were plenty of anti-nuclear protests, even in the 70s, whatever, where police got aggressive and violent. But this was a huge wake up call, I think, for folks who were like, hey, as long as we're just peacefully sitting in a tree, it's not like they're going to come up here and try to kill us. And it's like, yeah. Well, wait and see. So that changed the dynamic out there. I think it made, well, activists more wary 
And it also police, I think it, it really reinforced, I don't know, like, it's like they had no one else to pick on. So they had to pick an enemy and, and that was the enemy. So yes, I just wanted to get you to recount that history before getting into, you know, my time in Eugene. Well, it just goes back to, you know, we were doing forest defense and we were out in the woods and, you know, we're blocking roads um, for months. We're putting up tree sits for years. And, you know, um, for the most part, law enforcement, especially Forest Service or BLM, you know, they're very confrontational. Um, and, you know, it's to the point where, it's, you know, it's like they've even... Um, They've even said directly at one action, it's like, yeah, if one of you gets killed, we hope it happens or, you know, to that effect, yeah. you know, because at one action, you know, we had loggers falling giant five, 600 year old trees towards us while we're sitting right under it. And, you know, the loggers are like, well, we're not stop cutting this. And you guys, you know, if you want to move, that's your prerogative, but we're cutting this tree. And so at the last minute, we had to sprint out of under this tree falling at us, about six of us. And then we went to law enforcement who was down the road, you know, a couple hundred feet thereof. And we're like, hey, they're trying to, you know, kill us with their trees, you know, falling trees towards us. Yep. And he's like, well, you know, if, if one of you get hit or killed, well, you guys deserve it. You know, and that was uh, Forest Service law enforcement. And that was in 1996. So, you know, so the police and the Forest Service and all them, um, you know, they didn't see us as human. They're, they're just like, well, a bunch of hippies or anarchists or whatever. So it's like if you don't see people as human beings, you know, like you, then you're going to be treating them quite substantially different. Yes. Now, that's that's a really great point. So. Obviously, during a lot of these blockades or what have you, there'd be locals, whether they're militia members or loggers or just local people pissed off about that whole thing. They'd come out and threaten people. In some cases, there's violence and others is just kind of menacing. And and then, you know, basically the police standing back and not doing anything. So we'll, we'll trace a little bit more. And the reason we're going this trip down memory lane is just to trace the progression of how this came into what happened in Atlanta. But when you say they don't really quite value the lives of the people up there, here was something that was told to me. And I can't remember who told me this. I don't, it wasn't a forest service personnel. It wasn't a logger or somebody who maybe who was sympathetic to the environmental cause, but also knew people who were loggers. And he said, when we were going up to a tree sit, which we'll talk about in a second, he said, be careful up there, man. He's like, you people, you know, you hippies, whatever, you you value human life in a way differently in all life, in a way a lot differently than these folks do. A lot of these folks are maybe doing very dangerous jobs or have seen people killed or whatever. They, they treat life a lot more cheaply than you do. And that really hit home in me. You know, I thought like, oh, they're not going to do anything. I would never hurt them. So why would they ever hurt me, even if we disagree? And the answer is they would hurt you. <laughs> and at the time, other than, I mean, there were obviously many cases of police brutality against protesters in general from WTO protests across the board. Uh, but in terms of killing activists, not anything at that time. And most of the police involvement was kind of just standing back and letting stuff happen, which brings us to the Sten tree sit in the, the McKenzie watershed, the drinking water supply for Eugene, Oregon. Do you want to lay that out or should I? Well, I could give an intro. Um... Yeah, there was a, it was a old growth timber sale, ancient forest timber sale in our watershed, Eugene's watershed, the McKenzie River. And uh, it wasn't just one timber sale, it was a whole slew of them. There was probably a couple thousand acres that they were going to basically clear cut. 
And we'd been opposing this since like 1997 or 98. And at some point there was a lawsuit that was kind of pending. And it was a uh, native indigenous people who were filing this lawsuit. And uh, long story short, um, they started getting death threats and all this other stuff. And, and at one point, um, someone had uh, killed, slaughtered their, their dog and left it on their front porch when they weren't home, you know, in the midst of all this. And so that scared the hell out of them. They had kids, you know, and so they withdrew the lawsuit. And, and that, that was about around year 2000, 2001. And so subsequently, this timber sale, the Sten timber sale was part of that. And uh, we, us forest defenders, including Josh and, and a bunch of other folks, handful of folks, uh, decided we're going to throw a tree sit into this timber sale and try to stop this uh, timber sale. So we did that. We put up the tree sit, you know, everything was going pretty good. Um, and they kind of stopped the logging. But then, you know, all of a sudden, one day, some some guy shows up with his buddy down the road and starts shooting at the tree sit because without thinking, we put the tree sit within almost within sight of a road and so he took advantage of this and starts shooting and lo and behold you know a few weeks later he shows up the same guy after we reported this to the police by the way and the forest service law enforcement which did nothing um except well you got to go file a report in uh you know eugene if you want anything done so a couple weeks go by after that. And then uh, the same guy shows up with a high powered compound bow and he starts screaming from the, from the bottom of the road, I'm coming to get you, you know, and the people on the ground scattered because this guy was coming up and they didn't know if, you know, he had automatic weapon or whatever, whatever else he had. Um, and so here's the tree sitter by himself up in the tree. And the guy starts shooting high-powered bear-killing arrows into the tree sit, at the tree sitter, multiple times. And, uh, and you know, it's a huge, you know, you know, attempted murder. <laughs> mm -hmm. And, you know, we... We tried to get uh, law enforcement to take this seriously, and and you know it's just the rest of the story. You know, it's it's they the, the sheriff and all this with the, all the information they had. We even turned in physical evidence, like arrows, <laughs> into the police. They did nothing. It was an arrow. I saw it myself. It, it was an arrow into a water bottle that was hanging from the tree, and I saw the arrow through the water bottle. I wasn't up there at the time I got involved with it a little bit later, but at that point, that's when I got involved because I couldn't believe it. And I went to the police station with them and the journalist to basically just document it and to see that they were handing this evidence into police. Yeah. And it wasn't just a little water bottle. It was a five gallon, right? probably the, the plastic was probably about a quarter inch thick and it was full of water when the arrow hit it. Right. So the arrow actually stuck into, you know, this thick five-gallon container. Yeah, it was like a big kind of square plastic water bottle. Yeah, I guess a jug. I don't know what you call a container. Right. But that's, yeah, and there's photos of it. Eugene Weekly did report on it and took a photo of it. And I think it was on their front page. So that's still available, the photograph of that giant arrow through the big thick kind of a bucket like water bottle container yeah i have copies of that in my mm. archive here so uh, i can send pictures out if you want to post them sure sure but you know yeah again nothing was done nothing was done about the 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 person's family's dog being slaughtered and, and left on their doorstep um 
or the death threats. So here in Oregon, you know, we've been experiencing this for, you know, decades, this kind of violence um, and terrorist activities, um, not just from loggers, but that, you know, that happens all the time as well. But, but, you know, law enforcement, you know, Forest Service, especially in the past, you know, they're just like, oh, well, you know, if one of you guys get killed, well, whatever, no big deal. It's kind of like they kind of laugh about it, um, you know, when people try to report things to them about being uh, threatened by at gunpoint or assaulted. In 2017, we had a tree sit up the McKinsey um, at the Goose Timber Sale. And uh, folks put up a, a road blockade with two big, you know, a band, you know, beat up junk cars blocking the road and they suspended a, a rope above the cars about 50 or 60 feet and someone was sitting in that platform connected to the cars so anyway the loggers show up at you know four or five o'clock in the morning no law enforcement around at all and um and loggers proceeded to like beat up assault people um pull the cars out from under this uh platform and you know pulled the lines out and luckily there was a safety to catch the the the, the platform and the climber from falling to his injury or death um and, and then you know they just walk away free nothing's done no charges are filed you know it's like law enforcement doesn't show up till like three or four hours afterwards and these people are completely traumatized from this experience. Um, and, you know, it's just that's the way things are here in the Northwest, in anywhere, really, around the country, as we learned now in Atlanta, where these police basically killed these forest defender for just camping in the forest. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. The escalation from doing certain levels of violence, police violence, and then allowing lethal violence from loggers and others to actually committing the violence themselves. That's what we're trying to trace here, that progression. And one other thing to mention back at that Sten treated in late 2000s, whenever that was, like 2000, 2005. 2005 was so when I was up there doing ground support, one of the tree sitters, we actually had two sits at different times, but the, and I was only, uh, I wasn't one of the main people. I was just a little bit a part of it. And I was watching them fell trees very close to where the tree sitter was, like lethally close. The trees were falling right around where the tree sitter was. and. I was trying to get them to stop. They wouldn't stop. The Forest Service police officer, who people called Twitchy, he, he, you know, wouldn't do anything about it. He kept telling me I had to leave the area and that if I came back to that area to document it or to try to stop them from felling the trees, that I would be arrested. And so I contacted media and brought the local newspaper up there to look at it. And I was like, we need to get some documentation of it. And as soon as we got into that area, Twitchy was there to escort us off. And then he arrested me. And so the newspaper reporter got some good photos of an action of me being thrown up against the truck and held me for a, a little while. Uh, luckily, I was released after I gave my name because I had to do ground support. I was actually, there was a also a different tree sitter. She was up in the tree and she was a, a closer friend of mine. So I wanted to kind of be there because they were, it was sketchy. You know, I don't want people taking pot shots. I would sleep it out there. I would hear cars go really slow right down the road and then just stop for a while. And that was uh, pretty scary, but you know, maybe we can move on real quick to some of the other stuff that happened in and Eugene, and then try to kind of come full circle. How's that sound? Yeah, that's that's good. But yeah, where that tr tree sit was, that that was 
you know, logging road out in the middle of nowhere. There's no reason for anyone to even be out there um, other than loggers. And there's no trailheads or anything. There's no, you know, wilderness was a few miles away, but no one traveled those roads to go to wilderness. It was, you know, just hundreds of miles of logging roads, right? Logging our national forest out there. Right. So that, I mean, realizing that tree sitters are some ways easy targets. So then it was maybe a couple of years later, and there were some protests in downtown Eugene that we were a part of protesting pesticide spray. And there was an individual who was dressed up in a hazmat suit, pretending to spray pesticides in an obvious theater. We were doing, it was like political theater showing how bad pesticides were. The police who were actually monitoring this protest because Homeland Security was monitoring environmental activists. And that's the problem with, with the, so the other eco vandals that they deem to be terrorism. I mean, you know, vandalism is illegal, like for sure, but is it terrorism? I don't think so. And so that became their enemy. They need an enemy to fight. So the enemy was environmentalists of any sort. So that's the, that's the problem with the escalation of this terrorism stuff, which happened in Atlanta. They call them terrorists and then they call the environmentalist terrorists and then they go in and they kill them. So that, that again, we saw with this. So the Homeland Security is monitoring this rally and basically like arresting people or whatever. And there was an individual who was grabbed by police. And I, I witnessed this grabbed, thrown down on the ground, his head smacked on the ground. And then this individual, this like what 19 year old hippie kid was tasered by police and it became a big deal in Eugene. It's like peaceful protests and the police are using violence and it did get a lot of coverage. The, I don't recall actually uh, it resulting in any accountability for the police, although the public kind of started saying, oh, geez. So there was no official accountability. So is that a decent recap of, of those events? Yeah, yeah, I was there right next to you. You were holding a banner with me. And it was just amazing. You know, this here's this kid just having fun, you know, in his little costume and um you know, and I'm walking across the crosswalk back and forth. And you know, there was probably about a hundred of us, but it was very mainstream. There was all these mainstream anti uh pesticide groups there doing their little speeches, you know, and um you know, and suddenly, I guess, you know, I, this one cop decided he didn't like this kid's response. I guess this, this kid, Ian, um, kind of smarted off to him like, oh, yeah, how do you like pesticide spray? And, you know, it's like he was carrying a little container with water in it, you know, pretending it was spray. And the cop got all upset and he's like, oh, I'm going to get that kid, you know. And so then the two big train cops jump this little you know i mean this kid ian is probably about 160 pounds or something and these cops are all around 200 or more and they jump him uh he's down on the ground and everyone's going freaking out all around us right going, what the hell is going on you leave him alone you know and, and so it's, it's almost like a little melee you know riot after this started happening right in front of us for no apparent reason and they're tasing him while, while they already have him on the ground and they're tasing him yep. while he's already subdued by two cops, you know? And it's just like, wait, you trying to kill this kid, you know, just cause he smarted off to you or something. And it was just bizarre, you know? And uh, yeah, Homeland Security was egging it all on. They were like, you know, feeding information to, I guess, Eugene police department or whatever, you know? And, and yeah, treating us like we're the enemy. You know, like, like, you know, they've got to be stopped no matter what. And we were doing nothing, nothing, Peaceful not doing, people. not blocking roads, not nothing. We're just, in fact, the place we did this little uh, rally was called the Ken Kesey Free Speech Square, ironically. And here's this free speech square we're in and the cops are attacking us. <laughs> For practicing our free speech. 
So Ian actually did end up going to the hospital with concussion. Um, I don't know what happened to him. He did file a lawsuit um, with a really good lawyer, one of the best lawyers in Eugene. And, and the jury found that the cop was, the cops were okay. It was legitimate law enforcement, which right. was crazy. The mayor of Eugene, who was supposedly some progressive Democrat, did nothing, said nothing about it whatsoever. So here it is. It's like, okay, we're the enemy. <laughs> the, the mayor, the, our progressive mayor, doesn't even support us. Um, and it's just, you know, like I say, it's par for the course here in the, in the Northwest, especially, you know, if they perceive you as like, oh, they these are hippie anarchists or whatever. Right. Yeah. And I, don't think, and I don't think it's just the Northwest. Northwest was like an incubator. So Northwest moved a lot of stuff forward faster. So you could tell the future from what happened in the Northwest. A lot, a lot of um, social justice campaigns were happening there in the early 2000s that only 10 years later were happening in the rest of the country. So my, I posit that what, what went on in the Northwest and, and the attitude towards protesters, environmental protesters is now nationwide. And to be clear, these were nonviolent protesters. They knew he didn't have pesticides in the bottle. They knew that an anti-pesticide protest wasn't gonna have pesticides. And how do I know? Because, because I bought the bottle. <laughs> and after the fact, I picked it up and I was carrying it around in full range of all the police officers not a one of them cared about the pesticide bottle. So if they actually thought it was something to do with that, they would have commandeered the, the quote pesticide. It had nothing to do with that. They wanted to get rid of the environmentalists and they would use violence for that purpose. And so where that went to maybe wrap up the Eugene saga and bring it back around is, so the, the same officer, I'll make this really quick. The same officer, his name is Officer Soulsby, who is a, who took Ian Van Ornum down, smashed his head into the ground. He was a former Blackwater uh, operative. So those were the folks they sent into Iraq to do the dirty work that the U.S. military didn't want to do. So he was a paid mercenary. Uh, he was also on the SWAT team. So we, we filed stuff against him and it didn't go anywhere. But then a couple of years later, I was a part of a tabling in front of a bank because it was tied into logging and pesticide stuff, literally handing out brochures on the side, like out of the way, not blocking the sidewalk, like as peaceful, low key as you can get as an environmentalist and asking people, hey, are you interested in this? Oh, that's all right if you're not anyway. And so the police officer came, this, this Soulsby told me to leave. I did pack my stuff up because I was there with an intern, even though I knew it was legal. And I videotaped the encounter. I told the officer that the officer then pretended he didn't know about that, told me he wanted to take my camera. I did not let him take my camera. And then he grabbed me, arm bar, threw me to the ground, did the knee and the neck thing that luckily was not anywhere near what they did to George Floyd, but that same move, knee in the back of the neck while you're on the ground. And he injured my neck and he took me to jail. Now, the good news is that I did sue and I did win in that regard, which I was very surprised that there was any accountability, but there was a, a jury trial. And so that, that helped. And the judge did also rule about the illegality of the police. So I knew firsthand, I'm just standing there handing out brochures. It doesn't get any more, I don't want to say wimpy, but, but peaceful than that and still got beat up. And I then saw, even I went, I moved to Vermont and there was police shooting rubber bullets at environmental protests because they stood in front of a bus. And it's like nonviolent actions, which may, in my case was not illegal, but blocking a bus, technically illegal. Okay. Low level misdemeanor. They go straight to physical violence. And now what, with all of that happening, you know, we tried to do stuff with it. There was a lot of a police accountability stuff in Eugene. I was a part of some of that. Other people were too. Same with Burlington, Vermont. The general public didn't seem to care very much. The media only sporadically reported on it. Finally, over a decade later, with the George murder, George Floyd and Black Lives Matter protests, 
it became mainstream the idea of police using violence unnecessarily against people. And now they're doing it not just against people in traffic stops or to, you know, misdemeanor or other low level or whatever crimes. They're doing it literally with environmental protesters sitting in the woods. Again, I don't know for a fact what happened in the forest, but this we do know for a fact that an environmental activist was killed by police. And that is something worth discussing. It's worth understanding how we we got to this point and how more of that's going to continue unless we speak up. Um, I don't personally believe in using physical violence. I do believe in self-defense if people are trying to kill you. I obviously don't think, and just for the record, uh, I don't think one should shoot at police officers. But one scenario that I want to just put out there, and who knows, right? I'm I'm not making a clear definitive statement on what exactly happened other than police killed a, a forest activist for the first time in the history. But the the point I guess I want to make is that when you're out in the forest and you have this long history of being sitting ducks to say local militia folks, anti-environmentalists, whatever. And there's a long history of violence against these activists from folks like that, that I've seen with my own eyes. And we know police are willing to not do anything about it. When somebody comes into your camp and starts threatening you and you don't know it's police say, not saying I would do this, not saying I advocate for it. I can understand somebody trying to defend themselves because they think that they are about to be shot at. So I don't know if that's what happened. Again, I'm making this very clear because I do not know what happened for a fact. But the thing we do know is a this is a historic event where an environmental protester was killed by police at an environmental protest, and we need to figure out where to go from here. So what do you think, Shannon? Yeah, I totally agree. But, you know, how do we rectify you know what's going on i i don't i don't see the police as um reforming themselves uh i don't see law enforcement from the forest service or the blm or any law enforcement agency reforming themselves no and i don't see the biden administration or the obama administration or whatever administration you want to point to doing anything about it uh you know it just seems like um america is a police state and the militarized police pretty much can do whatever they want there's no real accountability and you know it serves the powers that that control our empire you know you don't get these troublemakers out of the way you know intimidate them uh terrorize them uh beat them injure them and even kill them if you have to to keep them in line so they don't disrupt you know the the empire the 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 making of profit the turning of the whole living world into a dead world is what they're doing and if anyone gets in the way you know, they're to be beaten or terrorized or eliminated one way or another. And, you know, I come to learn that after 30 years, um, starting with my first, you know, earth first actions. I mean, before that, I worked for the Forest Service and even the BLM. And, uh, and I had to resign because I couldn't work in that kind of corrupt uh, situation. It just wasn't in my uh dna to go along to get along and so yeah and there's been so many i mean i've seen friends assaulted beat up so many times um over the years and somehow i luckily would not be in the situation where cops actually had a chance to beat me up or anything um maybe once i got kicked a few times when i was blocking a road locked down under a you know a three-ton car 
Um, but there was, there was one good cop there. He was a native American officer and he actually respected what I was doing. Um, and he actually was looking out for my safety. Um, cause you know, I could have really been hurt sitting under a two ton car while they're cutting me out with, uh, uh, you know, a, a grinder, to, to <laughs> but, um, so yeah, I would say there's probably the saying goes, there's always a bad apple. Well, I'd, I'd say almost the opposite. It's like, there was one good cop probably out of the whole force when it right. came to dealing with me, um, as a forest defender. And, uh, that's, that's probably reality today. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, if laws are broken, I understand that police are going to come in and try to do something about it, but just like you don't kill somebody at a traffic stop, whatever you don't, you don't kill protesters. And if somebody is trying to kill a protester, you need to protect them, even if they're committing some misdemeanor in the forest, you know, it's, it's a, that's the thing that needs to be understood. And, and I, so back in, June 2020, I did a podcast right after the George Floyd killing. I called it Rotten Branches and Poison Roots of Police Brutality. And I and the description is discussing the overlap between environmental activism and police brutality and how existing policies set the stage for the deaths of George Floyd. So we were talking about this stuff a long time and nobody, nobody cared. Finally, people started paying attention. It took the death of George Floyd for people to on a national and even global scale, realize police are killing and using unnecessary violence all the time. I mean, many of us knew it for a long time and nobody gave a shit. Uh, so I guess better late than never. But what I think needs to happen moving forward, and I think that this, you know, as terrible as the death of George Floyd was, and same with Tortuguita, it's an opportunity to join forces. And I think it's time that environmentalists who just stay in their lane of only focusing on environmental issues, extremely important, without which there's no other issues, obviously, at the Green Root podcast, that's, that's my focus, but you can't just focus on environmental issues, you got to see, well, when we try to do our environmentalism, they don't let us or they hurt us or they kill us. And so we have to be looking at police accountability and folks who are just working on police accountability stuff, that's really important. Racism by police is really important, but that's not the whole picture. That's a rotten branch. We got to get to these poison roots. And so hopefully this will be an opportunity. And this encampment in Atlanta really was folks who were working on forest issues. People were concerned about police accountability and racism. We're all working together, which is really great. And maybe that's why it was such a threat. Anytime we really get our shit together, I mean, that's what happened to Eugene when we were really that pesticide rally as as not a huge deal as it was it was the first time that we had brought together rural folks working on pesticide you know um people living in eugene city environmental activists longtime veteran activists and college kids that was the first time that we actually united well, it wasn't the first time but it was it was the more recent example of that happening so it's interesting how whenever there's a real powerful movement that starts happening that's when they ratchet it up. And let's just make sure, I mean, I hope that it doesn't continue to get drowned out. Media did a decent job of reporting on Black Lives Matter. Obviously, there is bias in some ways, and they didn't report everything. But at least it was reported on for the most part. It seems like they're covering this up a lot more. We need to make sure that people know that this is happening and that this is our opportunity not to fade away, but to join forces more and more. So if you're working on environmental issues, expanding your scope, and if you're work, not working on environmental issues, why the hell not? <laughs> well, get to the point, back to like some historical, you know, the bombing of Judy Berry and Daryl Cherney. Right. You know, uh, back in, during the Redwood defense campaigns, she was becoming a real threat because she was actually beginning to work with labor you know like unions and 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 you know about workers rights in the mills and and safety in the mills and logging operations i mean the mills and logging is the most dangerous job 
there is, especially in the Northwest, but maybe nationwide. I mean, it's not unusual for loggers, choke, you know, all the heavy equipment they use out in the woods to hear about someone be killed. You know, a tree will roll over on them or a cable will break or, you know, I worked in a mill myself in the late 80s, you know, because I, you know, there was no other jobs in my community. And I was like, well, I'll try this, you know, and see how it goes, you know, and it almost took my life a couple of times just in a few months that I worked there. And I saw people nearly die of heat stroke. Um, there was people working there who had missing limbs, you know, that, you know, were put on these jobs where, you know, they were taken care of. Um, and even after I got injured, you know, the mill went way out of their way to uh, make sure that I didn't wasn't able to file any sort of workman's comp claim. They kept me around for about a month before they fired me, right? After I took a two by six up the side of my back of my head um, one day. And I decided, well, it's time to go back to college after that. But, you know, long story short is it's like, you know, Judy Berry was trying to join up with unions and, and, and labor and workers. And right after that, that's when she was bombed. Um, they never found out who did it, no. but, uh, but, you know, it, it goes back, you know, 30 plus years, this kind of, you know, intimidation and terrorism to stop us yeah. and from the profit machine, the death machine that doesn't care about people or the planet or all the species that they're destroying. So that's, that's where we need to get to, but I don't know how we, I mean, I think it needs to come from some international body to rein in these police forces. You know, I don't think the United States has ratified the, the, the Declaration of Human Rights or the Declaration of or Convention on Indigenous Peoples' Rights that the UN and most of the countries in the world have adopted and signed on to. I don't think the United States has agreed or signed on to any of those conventions. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's really good point to bring up the Judy Barry stuff. I mean, I think there are probably other examples we can find. That was a really important one. If any listeners recall any, I think it's important to trace this history and to trace why we ignore these things in the past. I mean, even, even though this is an environmental, in the 1985 move, there was a group in Philadelphia and these were, I think entirely black people and it was, they were occupying some buildings and the government bombed them and killed them. So, and then before that, of course, COINTELPRO, there's been always pushback against activist movements. That's not a surprise, but the violence. So it has happened before. This is again, the first time that environmental activists in the midst of an environmental protest was killed by police. It's, it's disturbing. And here's what I think, and maybe this can wrap it up, Shannon, is why is this all relevant? I, I think with what I call the eco unraveling, some people call collapse, whatever, with ongoing and future pandemics and other chaotic events, police are setting up more of a military state and they're going to be targeting activists and anyone, frankly, and calling activists terrorists and all sorts of stuff like that. So I think we need to be on the lookout. I, I do think, and I'll just say for myself, I think that peaceful protest is extremely important. Gandhian nonviolent civil disobedience. I mean, all of the things out there, I believe in writing articles, I believe in old fashioned uh, organizing. I believe in nonviolent direct action. I believe in litigation. I believe in everything across the board. We have to do everything across the board. And when they hit us and we aren't using violence against them, it makes it really hard for them to look good. So we'll see how they spin this. We'll see how it comes out. Again, we don't know all of the details, but this is very, very significant. And People need to stay safe. I hope it doesn't discourage people from getting involved with stuff because that seems to be 
a very chilling effect. They're like, oh man, if I go there, they're going to shoot and kill me. The truth is, as dangerous as it is, the vast majority of time, if you do peaceful protest, you will not be killed, you will not be injured, but it's happening more and we need to make sure it doesn't keep happening more. So any final thoughts, Shannon? Yeah, it's a, that's a great point, Josh. You know, I, I think, you know, there, there's the police are basically, you know, the serfs. I mean, they're, they're, they, they're just told what to do. They're not really trained or educated about how to deal with people, really. They're just like, oh, we just use force. That's what we do. And it's like, you know, it's like, that's all they know. You know, and, and a lot of them are probably, you know, vets from Iraq or um, Afghanistan that have been hired, you know, and, and they have problems and all that. And that comes through, you know, when they, they get violent. But, you know, there is the politicians and the, 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 the mayors, you know, the governors, and they need to be accountable, held accountable for this because it's their, you know, the buck stops there, right? They're in charge, you know, of these law enforcement forces, and they need to do their job to keep this from happening. <laughs> yes. They need to hire the right people. And if they find someone who's not the right person in law enforcement, they need to remove them. Yes. And, you know, yeah, it's a big fight with the unions and all this. And, you know, in fact, even in Eugene, like you mentioned, Officer Soulsby. As far as I know, he's still working for the Eugene Police Department. Yes. And, uh, you know, I saw even a, a, a news story. About him um, on the TV, you know, uh, local news. And uh, it's just amazing that someone like that, who's like assaulted two different friend activists of mine um, still has a job with the Eugene police department. Yep. Right. Um, and so what does that say? You know, and, it, and, and that lawsuit cost the city millions and millions of dollars to defend, but yet they kept them on. It's like, well, who's accountable? Who's keeping anybody accountable? And so I don't know, you know, it's just like, there needs to be some sort of ultra body, governmental body up there saying that these things need to be taken account of and someone needs to be held to account for these actions. Yeah. Um, and beyond just being fired, you know, someone kills someone else, you know, they should be put on trial like anyone else. Yes. Yeah. Whether it's manslaughter or murder or whatever. Yeah. Well, police accountability is a long, ongoing topic. People find it too boring to talk about, so they we never address these things. And really, things haven't changed much since George Floyd. So people just let it be. You know, it's not enough to sloganeer. And so there, there needs to be review boards. Of course, those are pretty biased. There's an entity that's investigating this right now in Atlanta, but they're the Georgia Board of Investigation. And they stood there with all the police officers supporting them before the investigation. So they're not a, an objective third party. There are, there are other ways to hold accountable. You have to understand these things like, this is getting too in the weeds and I want to end this, but a continuum of force. It's this idea that police will always have a level higher than an individual. And that might make sense in some ways, like somebody is trying to punch you and then you tase them perhaps, but somebody is standing there and then you shoot them. That is not going up that continuum of force in a way that makes sense. So like we do have to get into the weeds, but I think the point you made, Shannon, is, I mean, a lot of these cops are just people and a lot of them come from a real traumatized background. Vets are not taken care of very well. And, but so the police do stuff and then they're allowed to get away with it by the politicians who don't want to do anything, but the politicians are often, you know, to, to not over uh, simplify this, doing the bidding of a lot of the corporations that just want people to consume. They don't, they don't want environmental protections. They, they want people to just buy their crap and do the work to make it. So, 
And so it may come to we the people, we have to stop supporting these corporations that's disappeared from leftist movements for some reason. The fact that corporations are a lot of the root of this stuff. Not everything, it's not that simple, but that's a lot of it. So we need to stop supporting these entities. Um, I believe it was a couple large corporations are sponsoring the police cop city. So that's all intertwined. And, and to do so, we have to create alternative models. And we have to support other kinds of business, uh, other kinds of procuring the necessities for life. We have to create alternatives. And until we do, this is just us you know, banging our heads up against more of the same. So I hope this can be a, a rallying point, a rallying cry. And this is nothing new, but it is escalating. And we need to come together and put aside our differences and stop fighting over every little minute ideological difference and find where we agree. And I think where we agree is we need a living planet and we need to not be killed. <laughs> so that seems like a pretty good place to start, wouldn't you say, Shannon? Yeah, yeah, I would, you know, it's just, it's a, such a difficult thing to deal with um, when you're in the midst of it, you know, your whole life, you know, seeing all this violence around you um not perpetrated by your comrades or your friends or your forest defender um allies but by the police or by loggers or workers um so there's this big divide you know and and again they see us as less than human when we're blocking the road or we're stopping the timber sale from being cut that they want to you know log to make money um and then the police are you know in that same boat there's like yeah they're just causing problems for us we need to teach them a lesson and this is how we're going to do it you know we're going to you know abuse them until they give up or or don't come back seems to be their mindset but yeah. You know, it's like we're all working for the same. It's like we're trying to protect the planet, not just for our own, but for their children or grandchildren. And so they can have a healthy and safe environment and not live in poison and die from cancer, <laughs> you know, in the future. Because we all want, you know, it's like a livable, habitable planet. And the way we're going, it's doesn't look too good in the next 10 to 20 years that you know we may not be here as a species by the end of this century and most people don't want to hear that you know whatever but and scientists don't want to say that because they're afraid they're going to get defunded or deplatformed no one wants to say you know we're heading for extinction you know maybe by the end of this century we don't turn the Titanic around here before we <laughs> hit the iceberg, unless we have already hit it. I don't know. But, um, but yeah, so, you know, it's like the police forces and all the, the corporate elite, I don't understand why they don't see that we're working towards saving their world as well. You know, they live on this world as much as we do and need clean air and clean water as much as we do. Um, and to live without cancer and 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 their kids and 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 all their offspring. So and to, to me, it's like being truly awake means that you see and feel the injustices done to every living thing on the planet, all species, not just your own species. You you care about that too, almost as much, maybe more. But all the species are are suffering, um, and we're driving them out, and that's going to drive us into extinction because we need them more than they need us. That's for sure. To survive on this planet, so you know it's like if we could reach that point where we could have the powers that be the police the governors the politicians the senators to get to that point where it's like 
we're working for this to save our only home that's can that can support life and human life maybe we can get past this i don't know yeah well let's hope so and on that note contact us if you have anything to say at eco-integrityalliance.org read our guiding principles and if you're on board join as a member you have a say in what we're doing we'd love to have you if you're on board with what we're trying to accomplish and thanks shannon for coming on the podcast again and for all your ongoing work over the decades yes thank you too josh for all your work over the decades <laughs>